This is the Love Sport Podcast. This is Paul, your host, joined by John and Pete. This is our weekend Q&A session. All the questions come from Facebook and Twitter for the Love Sport Podcast. They come from my Twitter account on Paul underscore football. You can also get Pete at Pete Novikowski and John Atlantic Peach. But if you want to direct any questions, do it through me or on the Love Sport Podcast. We'll do our best to answer them. So see how we go. This is, was, and always will be the Love Sport Podcast. With me and uh, I'm Paul, your host as well. How are we, Pete? Oh, sensational, my friend. How are we? Uh, hopefully everyone's keeping well and uh, staying as fantastic as pretty much we always are. Uh, we're going to call this the lockdown special. Uh, Pete's been doing it tough uh, in New South. Obviously, Victorians know how bad it was last year. And Queensland's now gone into a snap lockdown. So we're waiting for John to come in. So if he comes partway through an answer, that's all good as well. So, um, Pete, we had some questions up on my page or my personal feed. But um, we get them up on the Love Sport podcast as well. So the first one's hey. from... Uh, Oi, ho, ho, best timing ever. Hello, Sorry, Johnny. Yeah, good, mate. So we've got Pete with us, mate. We were just explaining that this is our uh, lockdown Q and A special. Good to have you with us. I'm happy to be here, and um, thanks for inviting me. Hello, Peter. <laughs> All right, JT. Good to uh, good to see you, man. And hopefully, you've had a great birthday as well, mate. Gangbusters, thanks, mate. For one of the best uh, best people I know and uh, best sporting people I know, well done. Guys, these questions have come from a whole heap of different people. Not sure if you've had a chance, but we'll get into them anyway. First one's from Michael O'Neill, very good footballer, mate of mine down in Melbourne, has his own podcast as well. And he asks us, does commentating from a studio change the viewer experience? So, look, ready for either of you to answer that one. Yeah, look, I, I guess it, it, it does because it's a totally different vibe between being at the, you know, at the scene of a venue, you know, being on the side of a pitch, being at the side of a pool, being up in the grandstand and, and, and seeing things live. It is definitely a different experience. And you're kind of relying upon um, the, the many screens and the many TV cameras to kind of produce, you know, um, the environment it, it does change the the vibe in terms of I think that being in a studio you don't get the opportunity to be as connected to a game and you don't yep. get the uh, the emotional expression that you'd kind of like wish for or you'd hope for if you were there live. I think it was uh, I think it was summed up pretty well last year. One of the great sporting commentators of all time, and he's doing a another fantastic Olympics uh, um, special commentary is Bruce McAvaney. And with the AFL last year, yes, he's starting to get long in the tooth with, with that sport, but he was actually doing it from Adelaide whilst the other hosts were doing it from, you know, different grounds as well. So he was actually not connected to them physically as well. So he was away from the game and away from his, um, you know, co-hosts. And I think he really, really struggled without that energy from the others. So from the viewer, I think you can tell they're not there. I think you can feel the energy's not right. I'm not sure what you think there, John. Um, I kind of agree with what you folks have said. Um, everyone's been telling me how incredible Basil Zempelis' commentary has been with Ian Thorpe, and I've been looking for the um, pillow to fall asleep. It just, <laughs> it just doesn't have the vibe at all, you know? And um, everyone's just – I mean, I get it. 
of everything in this world. We've either got this, we've either got the sport or we don't. Take it as it is. I think that um, I think Thorpey's expertise has been fantastic. I'm not so sure about like commentary of a live events, but uh, yeah, I, I think it has to change. You can feel the vibe. I'm sounding very much like what was that movie, um, The Castle? The vibe of the look. Thing. I think there's I think there's a couple of different. There's right country, there's TV, and there's TV in the studio. Yeah. And for me, you know, the pinnacle of all of those is radio commentary. And you've got your TV at the ground. I used to love all those live feeds from, like, you know, European football matches and stuff like that, or World Cups. Um, you know, hearing guys out and about at remote places and, you know, when things aren't perfect and stuff, I think that's brilliant. The studio is exactly what it is. It's just a couple of mates talking about watching the telly. Yeah, exactly. I think the funniest thing I've ever seen at a live cross was, um, remember Chris Kamara? When there was a red card in the background, they've gone, Chris, there's a red. And he turns around and goes, oh, it was there. And he was actually at the game meant to be commentating on it. So I'm not sure if you've <laughs> seen that one at all. No. Uh, Dan Van Winkle, Danny Winkle, also <laughs> former schoolmate, asks a few questions here. So we'll, we'll rattle these off. The first one is, could uh, Ariane Titmus become Australia's greatest Olympian? Of course well, she God, could. I... Yeah. Well, are you going to talk first? You go. I mean, sorry. No, I was just going to, I was going to let you guys go. I'm just saying, of course she could. Will she? Who knows? Injuries, COVID, timing, anything can happen. Well, I was just sat down, finally got a chance to watch some swimming today, and I, and I hadn't seen either of Titmus's swims live. I'd listened to one on, on an SEN feed, which was through my phone at a girls' soccer tournament uh, in a break when they went over the road to Red Rooster, and <laughs> there, was a, there was a teacher supervising them, by the way. And so I was getting, I was getting the SEN phone feed through the radio but via the TV studio call, which yep. I think is another layer of down the pecking order of how cool should be. And that was awesome. I really enjoyed that, but I wanted to see today's swim. And, you know, then straight afterwards we saw um, the two McEwen girls both getting their second goals. And then I watched um, the the both the McEwen girls get out after winning those gold medals after Titmus had – and then – they both went and swam a relay literally straight away after that, a mixed yeah. relay. I was like, and you know, McEwen's now got the um, the the freestyle. Um, McEwen's got nine gold medals, the nine medals, the same as um, Thorpe and Liesl Jones. People want to hand this thing around. Yeah, you know, like to me, medals just isn't the whole thing because sometimes people specialise in an event where there isn't multiple medals available to them. And I'm going to give you one straight up. Kieran Perkins or Grant Hackett. Yep. You know, and so, I mean, to me, I mean, for me, the Olympics was always Perkins' second gold medal. Um, that was the greatest moment for me in the Olympics when he, um, you know, he held on and won that second. He won two, didn't he? He did. Yep. And he said he won that second one. He was up against all the odds and he had Hackett there in second place. That was absolutely, to me, that was, and then you've got Kathy Freeman. Um, so, you know, I don't know. I would say no, but I really like her. She's awesome. It's too early to give her the she, her career. I totally agree, and that's that's why the questions out there. What what about what do you think, Pete? It's a good question. It, it absolutely is, and you know what? This is exactly um, a great point that you raised there, uh, John, at the end about it's too early to put a label on, and it seems like such a classic thing that at the moment there's a hint of success. 
that we want to label these, uh, you know, as best ever. You know, the split second that England looked like they were going to do something in the Euros, it was, oh, they're all going to get knighthoods. The split second an Olympian starts to do well at a tournament, oh, they're the best person ever. I, I agree that they've got the potential to be one of the best ever. I don't think that we need to label them as saying they are the best ever. Because yeah. the thing is, like, it's so many years in the process. It's such a long, like, battle to get to a point. Why do we insist on the fact that we need to label this and say you are the best ever? Where, you know what, if you want to look, um, if you want to look in a broken down sense, then one of the most successful Olympians ever is Ian Thorpe. But if you want to think about them as who is one of the, um, you know, best characters of people, man, there are so many out there. And, and this is us disregarding, you know, the equestrian riders, the 66-year-olds, yep, yep. the, the shooters, the, the table tennis player. Like, there are so many superstars out there. But unfortunately, we, we all want to jump the gun and say this person's the best ever because they're doing damn well at the moment. Well, yeah, I think it's just... Oh, sorry, go on. I'll just say one thing. A lot because it's happening now. It always yeah. seems to be the caveat. Yep, agreed. Um, well, Jessica Fox is a great example, the canoeist. You know, we don't follow canoeing outside of Olympics too often, like not a lot of us. And she's considered the greatest female canoeist of all time, and she hadn't won a gold until this Olympics. So, yeah, I don't know. It's, it's a good question. It's one that will always be uh, be sprouted out there. The second uh, one here is about who are the standout commentators at the Olympics. There's still a number of events to go with the athletics. I find the athletics commentators are some of the best. I, I honestly couldn't tell you. I, I, I don't watch the sport for the commentators. I watch it for the actual moments. So I'm not sure if you guys want to step in on this one. I, I do think that commentators do add a certain level to it, though. And there is, it's kind of like you're cherry on top of the ice cream in a way. Like they add a different spice to it. Now, admittedly, I've been quite vocal about some of the commentary, especially in the football, um, because it seems like there's only two commentators in Australia who ever get considered for international games, which is incredibly Mm. frustrating when there are so many other amazing human beings out there. Um, who deserve the chance and the infuriating thing about that is you know when you've got one commentator who decides that if you don't agree with them they just block you on um, twitter or instagram or facebook because that's their way of dealing with conflict then you know what um i can quite proudly say i was very happy to just turn the tv on mute and i was very happy to put on the international commentary we actually had some brilliant work from um a uk female commentator whose name escapes me at the moment but mate there was so much better commentary out there than what we were forced to listen to in the football i'm so happy you said that because i've been going back and watching um highlights of the different events that i've missed and so forth and some of the commentators have been obviously from different countries and i think that's what seven's missed out on because some of their commentary has been amazing so i don't know standouts for me i don't have a name um but yeah you're right they do add uh, to the flavour, of course. Now, um, and I, I, I'd like to ask you on that question because I'm really missing the radio commentary. Agreed. Which, uh, 
yeah, yeah really, really right. missing the radio commentary, and, and I'm going to get a radio comment. And now I don't like the guy that much, but I tell you what, he's really good, Quentin Hole, and he should be calling something at the Olympics because oh, he can Hull. do some. I, I um, agree. You know, he's he's amazing. One of the great all-round so, commentators. One of the great all-round commentators we've ever had. Like, yeah, I don't disagree with he, you. With he does. Well. He does rugby union, rugby league, AFL, and football and cricket, and and he's done. I've heard him do tennis and swimming, and he does them all flawlessly. Like he's to me, he's like a Jared Waitley type. Um, yeah, and just incredible at what he does. Uh, his final question from Dan because he's really thrown a few out here. I think he's trying to uh, throw us a few. Uh, curveballs. He said here, is Flora Duffy Bermuda's greatest sports star? I've got to say, Dan, I don't know who Flora Duffy is, so I'm going to leave that alone. If anyone else wants to answer that, fine. No. Um, but Bermuda's had. F- come on. What about the fat off-spin bowler from the World Cup? Oh, yeah, come on. Remember that big fella? But, yeah, yeah, he was fantastic. I'm serious. Few, yeah, no, no. And, and look, no, I, I, I can't answer that one. Uh, Dan, if anyone else, as I said, wants to step in. Condor of Bermuda, the boat at the um, America's Cup. Oh, yeah. I like it. It's a good sideways answer there. He does ask us one more. Comparing, uh, I'm going to say a name wrong, Hedilian Diaz's achievements to fellow Filipino uh, Manny Pacquiao. Um, Look, she's a weightlifter and she's won gold. That's fantastic. If we want to compare, they're both champions because, but Manny Pacquiao is one of the greatest lightweight boxers that we've ever had. So I don't think she can really compare. That's just my opinion, guys. You can step in there. Uh, Silence is definitely. <laughs> no, 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 no. I, 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 I love the um the weightlifter girl. I thought she was brilliant. And um, but you know, Manny, this is this thing. I mean, at this stage, it's too early to write the book on her career. That's hundred percent. I think that's I think that's the best answer, Pete. Anything there, mate? Uh, look, I'll just throw in the fact that I just enjoy the fact that um, athletes are looking for whatever avenues that they can do to assist um, the opportunity. So, uh, the mention of Flora Duffy, um, you know, it, it's a really cool story about the fact that uh, as a 33 year old becoming the first uh, Bermudan in Olympic history to to win a gold. Um, and the fact that she won the triathlon a full minute mm. ahead of her competition, just it, it is a fantastic story. And, and there have been some brilliant um, stories so far of this Olympics campaign. Um, and it, it's really cool seeing these smaller nations yeah. um, who are able to kind of just create moments of magic. Uh, there, there have been some really heartwarming stories. We think about the, the weightlifting, as you say, the, um, the fact that, um, what was her name again? Sorry, uh, Helinda Diaz, who, yep. who ended up winning the gold medal. We had the Tunisian swimmer who went from last to first in the 400 meter freestyle. Hey, that was incredible. Um, we had the 13 year old gold medalist in the skateboarding. Uh, that was just something absolute magic. Um, we had um, uh, Kamina Aldiz, uh, who became the first women uh, woman in Iran's history to win an Olympic medal yes. for her country. Um, after she won uh, a bronze in Taekwondo. Uh, you had so many siblings at this tournament as well. Um, and, and we've also had the, the stories of, like, disappointment, but such uplifting moments as well. Yeah. So in, in the BMX, when uh, a female rider had crashed out of, uh, of the event, 
and the fact that we could see the footage of her brother back home who was hoping to be at these Olympics prior and was to, also injured. Yeah, he was injured. Yeah. Um, so th- there has been some beautiful stories and some fantastic ones being told so far. I just think, uh, I mean, look, her, you're right, John. Her, her story hasn't been written if we're talking about Hildy and Diaz. But Manny Pacquiao is just, he was a nation's hero. So it's, it's going to be, if she can do that, she can get up to that level. Fantastic. Um, Aaron, former work colleague and uh, Tiger supporter. And I just do want to say back to Ariane Titmus. She is a uh, Tiger supporter as well, as the rest of her family are. So I just thought I'd throw that out there just to knock you guys around. Another one. Yep, we are <laughs> everywhere. Anyway, uh, probably going to sign one of them for Villa this week. Uh, so Aaron asks here uh, that we're big on mental health and we talk about it on the show. And uh, we did speak about uh, Simone Biles previously. Um, so his question was what we thought about, uh, you know, how it all worked out and about her thoughts about pulling out. John, you answered it really well last week, stating, you know, you know, about letting the team down and different things like that as well. But it's been some great articles from other gymnasts saying that um, that fear, I can't think of the term she used, if any of you can, about when when they get the spins or whatever it is. And yeah, it's other, like the yips in golf, isn't it, they're saying? Yeah, and, and so it's opened, if anything for me, it's opened up my eyes to what those gymnasts go through because two of my kids do gymnastics and so they get to watch the older girls and boys do it. And we quite often are like in disbelief at the spin rate and how high they get and sticking the landings. It's amazing yeah. uh, athletic performance. All right, Paul, before you go on, we're not talking about your kids. And if they freak no, out no. when they're up doing spinning, yep. then so be it. You're talking about the person who had a leotard where she got embroidered on it, the goat, and was lauded for that, was celebrated all across the press and all the rest of it. She had one false step and she walked out and left her team and then came up with a reason later. They yeah. can whitewash it all, and that's probably the wrong term, whatever way they want it. At the end of the day, at the absolute top level, so we're not talking about, you know, some Molly Dukas here down at Salt Cove on the weekend, let's get out some foamies and jump on the mat. You talk about the person who was sold to us as the greatest in history. And look, and that too is a thing about a moment in time because, you know, do Americans know that a person called Nadia Comaneci actually existed? You know, well, we, um, do. we do. <laughs> well, I'm telling you that like the way that this has all been talked about and this, oh, this immense bravery, the, the point of being at this sporting event um, is the high point of her sport. That's what they worked to for years. If you want to take all the plaudits as the greatest of all time, when something goes wrong, can you imagine if George Foreman just said, well, actually, you know what? I'm not going to invent um, the grill. During the Olympics, yeah. I'm not, you know what, I'm not going to, or Muhammad Ali or anyone. Imagine if Rocky didn't come out and answer the bell. I mean, come on. It's, it, to me, they can put whatever they want. I don't care. In fact, I was speaking to my rugby girls yesterday, under 15s, and we were talking about it in a huddle. And I said to them, I said, whatever happens, you've got to look next to that person in your team and you're going to say, yep. I will be there for you when times get tough. And especially the captain, the only captain I've ever seen go down with a ship like this before was the dude in charge of the Costa Concordia and he's in jail. Simone Bowles <laughs> deserves whatever criticism she gets. Now, 
I won't say someone on this podcast has sent through a very good schematic of um, Simone Biles and her. Um, what I will say to you is we're going to post something up this week which may give another perspective. And Pete, I think you may know what I'm talking about there. Yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll give a quick little shout out to uh, Patrick Steinford, who is uh, who's actually just signed on to be kind of the performance director at Football Australia. He, he put together a really good uh, diagram to talk about whether or not we believe we're allowed to criticise Simone Biles and, and a good little decision cr- uh, tree. So um, we'll put stay that tuned for that one up on the Facebook page and on the uh, the Twitter page. Because it's a, it's a really good diagram. And I'll tell you, it gives you plenty of context whether or not we kind of, if our opinion is valid in this decision-making yeah. process. Well, I have, I can reliably informed, I've worked in remote Australia and remote Indigenous communities and taken bets with the locals about which one of me or my travelling mate was Indigenous and they kept picking me and I kept collecting their money. So I don't know where I actually where I actually fall on that time space continuum as a straight white guy, but it's probably not very high. Well, we'll uh, we'll post it up for everyone to have their own uh, have their own looks there. So Dave uh, Hedgecock, who's a listener and a regular poster, has put here. What do you got? now? I'll just read this out in full because it'll make more sense. Okay. So what do you guys think about the swimming and rowing successes so far in the Olympics? Both have been sponsored heavily by Gina Reinhart. Do you think uh, other high-profile sports here should look to do the same? There will be a massive funding boost to Olympic sports now that Brisbane has a 2032. And uh, he goes on to say, the greater the funding from all areas, he believes the better chances of our success. So I might break this down to two parts. One, I think, obviously, our swimming and rowing has been outstanding. I mean, we've, it's just been so much fun to watch, right? I don't think any of us would disagree there at all. Absolutely. And the thing is, you, you need money to be able to get where you need to be. Now, I'll, I'll put this into uh, another piece of context for you. Rather than being an Australian athlete, let, let's go away from that for a split sec. The UK cut BMX star Beth Trevor's Olympic funding. So what she did was she actually crowdfunded her way to get to Tokyo. She ended up winning a gold medal. Yeah. She got there because she wasn't getting the support that she needed. So she decided that it was the best possible way to be able to get to the Olympics, to be able to facilitate all her training, to make sure that she was going to be in the best possible condition was to crowdfund her way to get to this point. Well, and outside funding matters. It really does. And so who, um, who kind of basically puts themselves up uh, for the success? Does he, Australian Olympic team or the organisers go, hey, they're our golds, we did it all. Does the individual say, hey, no, buggy you, it's my gold. Um, I don't know. It's If they're allowed to do it, I, I've got no problem. I mean, I don't believe in Gina Reinhart's politics or whatever she does, but if she's going to fund the sports and we're going to enjoy the golds, I don't care. I mean, I don't uh, care who's given the money. A couple of good things in play here, and I must say... um, um a friend at school got me a box of the new Cadbury favourites where it's just like the chocolate bars. And I just had a goal, a, a coconut rough and I'm giving that a, a, giving that a workout. On the podium. That's on the podium. <laughs> um, all right. A couple of things at play. One, uh, a lot of the success that's coming at the moment is coming from female athletes in Australia. Absolutely. That's a really key point. Uh, and two, 
um, I keep hearing this thing, especially for the Channel 7 guys, uh, that, you know, oh, Australia's punching above its weight. Oh, Australia, we, you know, we, we, we're so far... Other, you know what? Australia's one of the most developed countries in the world. We've got resources beyond the wildest dreams of maybe 95% of the countries at the Games. Uh, we've got a, fo- a culture of sport and a focus on sport. We're not punching above our weight. We're simply getting to the levels we should be getting at, given what we've got here. Funding's important. We can afford it. We can find it. It should happen. Private funding, why not? Um, and if you go back a bit to the Biles stuff, um, you know, she's not just there representing herself. She's representing a, a whole litany of people who've helped put her there. And yep. it's the same with most of these people. And, you know, if people are going to be involved, yeah, I want to them to actually walk out and have a crack at the end of the day. Like, so, yeah, definitely important. Why wouldn't you go and get it? I can see money coming for the women's row pretty quickly. Yep. Um, and they need it. Um, and they've got a whole new wave of people coming through. And I can see women's sport attracting more and more funding. The, the women are well-spoken. The women are great. I'm, I'm talking general, of course. They, they seem to be really well-spoken, really well-educated, whether it's in answering questions. They're fantastic athletes, and they give back. They seem to give back to their fans. Um, so I think what you just said then is really pertinent. The men are going to have to step up. Just because you're in the Olympics or you're going to be successful does not guarantee you um, success afterwards, and that's good. And um, I, I love the fact that we're all at the forefront of supporting this. And I I agree. I mean, loving the women. So, yeah, spot on. Really good question, David. Really good statement by you. I don't think any of us disagree at all. Is that correct, guys? It, it, I, I guess think... it comes down to a, a, an ethical dilemma of are you happy with where this money is coming from? Mm. Mm. So you could bring it into that. But at the same time... Uh, funding is better than no funding. So at some point you're going to have to realise if I am going to be able to get, you know, the best shoes, if I'm going to be able to get the, the best training environment, if I'm going to be able to get the best support network around me, then you need to have funding around you to try and get to this point. Uh, and so... Yeah, it's it's a good dilemma to be in. Pretty amazing question about the ethics of where who you source your money from, where you get it from. There's a lot of um, companies that make a lot of noise uh, around the whole virtue area that don't tip anything into the local community. Um, well, and there's there's a lot yeah. of companies who probably get vilified in an incredible um, fashion almost every week, but people find a way of calling them out. I'm going to I'm not going to talk about the ones who. Two crew involved in sport and stuff. Everyone knows what I'm talking about. Yep. But if we flip over to um, in Australia, how many local sports clubs get like stuff supplied to them from the local makers? You know, yep. and yep. and how many of the kids they're working there when they're doing their part time job and and stuff like that? Yeah, yeah, everyone hang them out to dry and say, "Oh man, they're the worst company in the world." It's like, well, are they? You know, I mean, because at that level, if they're going to fund someone, then fantastic. I think it's a really good. I think I think you could almost do a podcast on the ethics of sport and where stuff comes from and the sweatshops and all those things. But even if you look at uh, Gina Reinhardt as an example, she owns mines and everything, right? She uh, puts a lot of money into those local communities because a lot of people work there. 
she doesn't do anything that's illegal. I might not agree with how she goes about things, but she's not doing anything wrong. And if she's supporting those sports, then fantastic. I'm not going to pat her on the back, but I'm still certainly going to enjoy the success that uh, the funding gives. Twiggy Forrest? Absolutely. I mean, I, I mean, people could talk about the World Series cricket days, if you want, and how that money came around and all those things, but it's changed cricket. Some people might say for the worst, but I mean, it's obviously giving players the ability to work full time and uh, so play full time and get paid really well. So I don't know. We, we could do that for another podcast. Guys, final question uh, before we just wrap up a couple other little things. This comes from uh, Nathan Williams, Nate Dog. With the success and popularity of the new 100 ball cricket tournament in the UK, and it has been very successful, should this be brought to Australia to coincide or even replace the current T20 Big Bash? John, I'll let you jump in first, mate, with your opinion. Yeah, thanks, Pete. Um, That's so hard. You know what? Because at the moment, and I really appreciate the question I was coming from, we're only just in Australia and around the world coming to grips with the fact that there's a T20 World Cup. There's a a definite process for it around the world. I, I do know this. I don't think there's a place for another format of cricket that's going to be at at uh, club, state, national, and international level. And, and because, like, I mean, I can't even keep up with it. And, you know, we're supposed to be, like, involved in the game and, and all the rest of it. I, I'm going to say no. I don't think in Australia we've actually really worked out how to handle our T20 obligations. And I also still don't think 50 overs go anywhere because the World Cup still whether people like it or not, almost the number one competition to win in world cricket. Yeah, absolutely. Uh, look, everything changes um, at the moment. I don't think we need uh, it, the question had two parts really to it. Should it coincide be another format as you guys were saying, all replace T20 um, look at the moment. If the T20 is working, I just don't think we need another layer of cricket. Maybe the 100 ball cricket down the track will supplant the T20, but I don't think it can run alongside. I think that's, it's just too many levels of cricket. I I think you're right there. Um, Guys, we are in lockdown. So I'm going to pose a couple questions to you as we normally do before we wrap up this special episode. And thank you to every single person who has asked us questions today, whether they were, um, you know, commentating on studios or commentating on commentators or who's the best. We really appreciate it and we'll make it a regular part of the show. Um, I'm just going to throw a couple of things out there and just want a one word answer, which is going to be very hard. Okay. Mm -hmm. Matilda's comeback against GEB. One word answer. Matilda's comeback against GEB. Outrageous. Love it. Pete? <laughs> Can I hyphenate words, please? Because yes, ugly but okay. effective. We'll, we'll let you hyphenate. We haven't given you a run today. <laughs> ugly but effective. <laughs> I love it. Um, Sam Kerr. Legendary. Well, uh, world class. Goat. Oh, I, said, well, no, I hate that one. I, hate that <laughs> I knew it. I knew it. Oh, right. I loved it. And that was aimed directly at you. I just think right. Sam Kerr of any format is one of my favourite sporting people I've ever seen. I'm not going to. I don't like putting the goat out there. 
Um, I just wanted to see you react, and you did. Well, you I did. think that you know, and I'm sure Pete would agree with me that there's no higher accolade in football than world class. Very few people sit at the absolute top table uh, in the men and being called world class. Is a, I can't go higher than that. So I'm giving no. you that. Yeah, I actually love that. I um just trying to think. I don't think we've got a male world class player at the moment. No, no. No, I'm not being. I'm not being facetious. I, Tim Cale would have been last. Would have been close. I think. I think Tim Cale was definitely world class. Mm. Pete, anything I'm, there, mate? I'm. I'm scratching my head trying to think of someone who is considered to be world class at the moment in the Socceroos or Oliroos type lineups. Um, yeah, that. That's. Yeah. No. And chance. look at the and look at the Matildas. You could name a few players in there, absolute world class. I just, I love it. I can't smile. I can't smile bigger than I am. When everyone talks about, um, you know, the the issues in Australian football, you've then got this beacon of light that is the Matildas that that give you hope that the game is in, I won't say good hands, but it's in good hands in terms of uh, women playing, and that seems thought, to be the crux of this yeah. show. The second header from um, from Great Britain, that that's that second header goal, I just thought was one of the goals of the tournament and it probably won't get close. Oh, it's absolutely, absolutely brilliant. Yeah. yeah, the timing. And and that's the thing about headers, isn't it? You know, I think, and Pete, you are the coach, but from someone who watches the sport, the art of heading for goals seems to have really dropped off. Remember, you know, in the last, you know, 10 or 20 years, you'd, you'd have players from different clubs and they were known as a header, a header specialist and you threw them on late or you threw them up forward. When I... Is there a lot of players out there who are absolutely... I mean, I think Ronaldo is one of the greatest I've ever seen, but uh, is there anyone... Is that falling out of the game? Absolutely. Um, it, it's It's gone so far as there's actually been a rule introduced in the um, English football leagues from the second tier down where the game's governing body have agreed uh, that there'll be a limit on the number of headers players are allowed to make uh, and a recommendation based on studies. Oh my god! Um, suggesting Please don't 10, do that. Oh no! Suggesting <laughs> so ten big. headers a week in training. How oh, is that? Fuck. Ten headers a week. Can you imagine the, the video screaming out at training session? Hey, don't head it. You've done ten already. You know that. You know that. And they won't, they'll do that in England, right? And they won't do it in Brazil, and they won't do it in Argentina, and they won't do it anywhere else. None of us, I agree, none of us at all um, make light of the head injuries in different sports that are happening. And the longitudinal studies, obviously, are going to prove us right or wrong. But we're using different style balls to what the guys who've suffered those horrific um Head, head injury related stuff they're different balls they were like almost concrete in the past when we're talking 50s 60s 70s the balls now are so light you i don't i've copped a slap on the back of the head from my dad that's 50 times harder than the ball i'm heading into the back of the yeah head. it's a reaction to the nfl it's a reaction but to the NFL. yeah but the nfl i mean the head i mean i don't want to see my uh you know Wide receiver, copper head high, massive head high hit. Right, I've got no, no plans for that. They're, they're the NFL's taking care of its own business. What I'm saying is, yeah. this is a reaction. Yeah. In England, in Britain, to an issue in America in the NFL. 
and they're different things, aren't they? Like in Australia, in you know, a guy's over the ball, right? A guy's legitimately over the ball when someone comes in and hits him in the head with their hip. Or, you know, someone's unprotected and someone head high tackles him in rugby league, rugby union. None of us have any issues with that. But this seems to be beyond a joke. It, this is this is way too far. Well, I'm I'll not put, an expert. I'll put it out there Go. here. I'll put it out yeah. here. That just as popular as those grip socks have become in sport, in the next few months and years, I fully expect more and more players to start wearing head guards and head shields. And I oh. expect that because more education will suggest that that's going to be a necessary requirement until we properly educated people about how to do it the safest way possible. And, and it, it's a really weird way of going about it. It's a backwards way of going about it, I guess. But yeah, it, I think that that's going to be the, the way that we're going to end up going. And, and Paul, I've just sent you a link to uh, see what, what one looks like and how it kind of fits onto your head. So at least you've got kind of like an, an idea, but that's, that's oh. going to be my guess of what these little head guards and head shields are. They look a little bit like just a, a uh, one of those old tennis headbands that you put around your head. It's not very big. It's not very bulky, but it protects mostly around the back of your head mm. where you're most likely to get some form of contact by two people jumping up at once. We'll, we'll, um, we'll post a couple of these things up because they're pretty interesting. Guys, um, we've just had the games in Queensland for both AFL and Rugby League. Uh, there was two double headers going ahead in the uh, Rugby League today and tomorrow. They've been suspended indefinitely. And the um, AFL as well has been suspended in Queensland. So that's part of the lockdown. Um, they obviously haven't had time to figure out how they can isolate and clean the venues properly. So you might have already seen that, but... Rugby league games, so that's four games affected in Queensland this weekend, and I think one AFL game is no two AFL games because um, uh, Essendon was playing um, as well tomorrow. So that's COVID has affected the sport here uh, and those codes as well. I really think that the Queensland government do a lot of origin in that, and um, the NRL moving around and coming up, and you know. I think that they probably had to draw a line of sand to say that for this lockdown, everyone was going to cop it. Yeah, I just think it was a, a tough one, guys. Uh, Pete, you might not know. The, no issues with lockdown, and, and obviously we, we all know why it's being done with this strain. But the timing seems weird. Like four, We find out today that it's 4 o'clock this afternoon. I just thought that kind of timing was really strange, especially when people are still working today. Yeah, it, it, it's a weird one. Uh, having these little time things, you know, saying a, a lockdown was going to start tomorrow at 5pm uh, is kind of equally odd. Uh, I guess it, it gives you time to prepare, but then it creates these moments of panic as well. Um, I, I, I know a few people up in um, Brisbane who basically as soon as they um, messaged me about saying, oh, we're in a snap lockdown. They said, I'm, I'm racing down to the shops to grab what I can for the next couple of days. I'm like, why? Like, really? Well, we, um, it's just odd. we went, we went skating. We went, I spoke to you before, Pete. We just went skateboarding around our local area, knowing we'll be locked down this afternoon. We took our mask with, with us and then we dropped into the local shop to pick up some lollies and stuff for tonight. And, um, we, we fluked it. We just 
got behind a few people with trolleys because the express lane had two people working in about 150 people waiting. But the lines where people had heaps of stuff in their trolleys was only two or three there. So we just went behind someone with a trolley, got our lollies and nicked off. But you could already see, you know, an hour after it was announced, mayhem was uh, mayhem was ensuing. Hmm. Well, we're in an unfortunate position. Our daughter's flying back from um, uh, a, a week of work in Cairns and she's getting oh. at 4.30 at, Bris- at Brisbane Airport. Now, the reason we're doing the podcast at two is because i got to leave at three because I don't want to be driving into no. Brisbane after four. No. Um, I've got to pick her up. Yep. Um, and then, you know, we just drive home and I'm also picking up her friends. So I was saying, here's a sanitizer, put the mask on, do all that stuff. But what do you do? I'm actually caught right in the middle of it this time, you know. Yeah. And so yeah. um, they are issues of what they are. But uh, rather than wait till when I was going to go, which was probably quarter four, I'm just going to leave it three. You're in a lucky position at that airport that you're going to. It seems to flow really well. I presume you're going to the mm. Goldie Airport. Yeah. It seems Brisbane. To... Oh, Brizzy. Oh, okay. Well, look, um, love you, mate. And thanks for being on the podcast. <laughs> Just take it easy, okay? Sorry you're going to Well, what would you guys do? I mean, I can't. There's no, I can't, there's no way no, around it. Exactly. I've got to go and pick her up. I mean, 100% what you're doing. There'd be no different. I was hoping that it was on the Gold Coast, you know, much easier in and out kind of situation there. <laughs> no, it's oh, Brisbane, man. Oh, man, sorry about that. Uh, John, good luck with picking up your daughter this afternoon. We really appreciate your time. Pete, you have been absolutely fantastic going through what you have in your personal situation in New South. And to all those around the country and overseas who listen to this, and look, just um, do the right thing. Uh, mask up when you can, uh, speak to friends, keep company. And uh, if you want to listen to a few of these podcasts, you want to be on it even, give us a yell and we'll see what we can do. Can or I just give you the I, final yeah. podium for the um, chocolate? Oh, yeah. Yes. We've got – what did we have? We had coconut rough? Yeah, yeah. Well, I've, I've actually, I've, I'm going to hold that back. So on the um, in the bronze was caramello. Oh, I love – that would be gold for me. Yeah. Um, the uh, And I had all these during the podcast. Um, in, sil- in silver was uh, – Still sorry about that. Uh, fruit and nut, and I've given the gold to um, to the coconut rough, oh. and by actually by quite a substantial margin, it was sort of wow. one of those. Um, it was like you know the the Chinese um, the Chinese uh, yacht, yacht, uh, rowboat the other day. <laughs> yes, and sadly, out of the medals and and probably down in last place would be the uh, gold. Um, Dark chocolate one that I hate dark chocolate. Yeah, dark chocolate doesn't work for me. Pete, anything to uh, add to that podium? Uh, look, white chocolate's uh, what I enjoy most, and I don't mind a, a chocolate with a bit of mint in there either or some uh, strawberry filling. So, yeah, that, they're two of my favourites. Can't go past uh, something like that. I'll tell oh, you what, peppermint, pop- peppermint had a pretty good... So probably if it was a swimming race, 50 to go, it was in fourth place, had a chance at a medal and just faded a little bit. On the work and the lead up. Yeah. You yeah. know, and so that's um, unfortunately that's on them because it was wrapped Guys, in dark spe- chocolate, not milk. It's been another fantastic podcast. <laughs> I love you guys to, uh, I love you guys to life. I'm not going to say death anymore. Love you guys to life. And um, we will put up a poll about chocolates this week. It's very important, chocolate and sport and life. Thanks for being on the Love Sport podcast again, boys. Thank you. That was very sombre.
Trying to not cut Pete out. Oh, God. Sorry, man. I'm waiting for Pete. I don't even know if he's still there. Pete, are you alive? I, I'm still here, man. I, I thought you were just chopping and cutting. Oh, thanks for listening to the Love Sport Podcast weekend Q&A session. I hope we answered your questions well. Well, probably Pete and John did, uh, but this is Paul, your host. You can get us all at the Love Sport Podcast on Facebook and Twitter. Have a listen to our past episodes, see if we've improved at all. This was, is, and always will be the Love Sport Podcast. <laughs>